Hi, I'm Jen Gibson, and this is Brain Weasels, the podcast where people with firsthand knowledge of mental illness come to talk about mental health and the therapeutic fun of pop culture. You are all in luck. Lee and Merritt are back with me. Lee has been on many times, and this is Merritt's second episode. Lee is a tattoo artist. Check out Lee Dandy at Electric Panther in Little Rock. Merritt is a writer and a gamer. Find them on Twitch at Multiplayer. That's M-U-L-T-I-E underscore P-L-A-Y-E-R. Merritt is part of the Sanchex system. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know they are a DID system. DID stands for Dissociative Identity Disorder, formerly known as Multiple Personality Disorder. Today, we'll talk to Lee about their journey as an artist, and we'll all talk about art therapy, tattoo therapy, and just therapy in general. Lee! Hi! My best artist friend, (laughs) and the one who did a massive amount of tattoo on my head, um, which I love. And every time I look in the mirror, at least when I have it shaved, it's not shaved right now, but when I do, it just makes me smile. It makes me happy. I'm always glad to hear that. Uh, That's that's what we're going for. (laughs) Yeah. I want to make people happy about this, the art that's on their skin, and, and I want people to feel good about their bodies and feel more at home with with the body that they're giving because there's some a lot of things that you don't get the choice of you know you don't get to choose your genetics coming into this world but you get to choose what you put on your skin I think that's pretty cool so what do you have on your skin that makes you feel more like you I like my monsters I have a lot of monster tattoos um my entire left arm is just eldritch horror uh themed because Tabletop Call of Cthulhu was a really big part of my life as I was starting to become an adult. I hung out with a lot of friends and we played Call of Cthulhu and it was it was my first real introduction, that and D&D. But I played a lot of Cthulhu and because I really love horror, that was the game that really stood out to me. So we had a really good time and ever since then I've just read a bunch of related fiction to that and... I don't know. It just makes me happier. And I, I like the theme of cosmic horror where that, that, that centers around, oh, you're so small in the universe. Uh, everything is, is so much bigger than you. Everything can eat you. And you're like, yeah, well, I can still find meaning. It's what I make. The meaning in it is what I create. And I, I like that reminder. Plus, they, they just look cool. They have so many teeth. I, <laughs> I just really enjoy all the teeth. Uh, I also have things like... I have my right arm's going to be all D&D related because yet another game that is very central to my becoming adult period of life and more monsters. I get to have a bunch of monsters. I have, right now I just have my gelatinous cube, which is one of my favorite D&D monsters because they just are mindless and they eat everything. It's a dungeon Roomba. It just... And it's so cool <clears throat> looking. The it colors is. are great. It is. This one was done by Matt Driscoll out in Massachusetts. Uh, he's a cool dude. Um, but I picked him because of the way that he does water. Uh, he also seems to like to do D&D related monsters and things like that. So I thought he would enjoy the project. And when I hit him up about it, I said, hey, would you like to do a gelatinous cube eating somebody? He's like, hell yes, I would. So that was uh, that was fun. <laughs> Uh, I try to pick artists that I think are going to have a lot of fun with the project that I give them and try to also I try to vet, you know, what what is going to be the challenge of this design and which artists do I think can really meet that challenge? Where do they excel in that area? So because he excelled in like these translucent 
things. I thought he would do well at that. I also thought that he would enjoy it because it was a monster and he had some a lot of things like that on his page. Um, I also have a bunch of like just fun stuff on my legs. I've got Skeletor on the whole side of my calf. I've got um, No Face from Spirited Away because he's one of, another one of my favorite monsters. I've got a blue shell from Mario Kart to remind <laughs> me that just because you're not in first place doesn't mean you can't win. Yes. <laughs> uh, some of these I just loosely attach meaning to. There's really not any meaning. I just get what I think is fun. <laughs> yeah. And this is some good advice for people who are thinking about getting a tattoo. Like the amount of time uh, that you put into picking an artist is important. Yeah, you want to find an artist that you vibe with as far as their style goes. Um, you want one that has the right skill level of what you're looking for. And you want somebody who's going to really have fun with the project because you know they're going to put their best effort into it if they're also enjoying it. I know that I do. I'll do some tattoos that I'm not really into the subject matter. I'm always going to put my best technical foot forward, you know. But when I like what I'm drawing, it's just extra special. It's just something that... that I, I, I'll spend extra time on it. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm not going to charge you for that time, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to really be into it. There's an amount of focus that I just can't achieve unless I am really enjoying what I'm doing. And I try to make sure that I only accept projects that I can really achieve that as, but at some point it is a job, you know, I have to do my job. Um, but like I said, I'm always going to try to achieve a technical standard on yeah. every tattoo. And is that, um, is tattooing a therapeutic thing for you? Absolutely. I, I say people this not, I say this to people not to sound dramatic, um, but tattooing saved my life. Uh, it, it was, I was a graphic designer for six years, not really enjoying it. I, it was, there were a lot of problems in that career. A lot of it was just my work environment, the place I was working I had a boss that was just constantly wanting to control every aspect of my work and nobody cared about what my professional opinion was and I didn't go to college and graduate uh, to follow my dream just to be told what to do all the time when I know better I was being told to make mistakes things that I know are not correct mm. I know a better way of doing it but no one cares I think one of the tipping points for me was that I spent three hours on a design for a client and they said, well, my seven-year-old nephew did this in Word last night, so we're going to go with it. <laughs> Thanks. Great. Oh, I just wow. skipped about three different deadlines for you and this is the gratitude. And, you know, there's some, maybe some pride there and it kind of wounds me a little bit when people say shit like that to me but um at this point I don't care it is what it is I was miserable and that's the bottom line I just I was so miserable that I just couldn't I was starting to feel desperate honestly I, I hadn't drawn anything like anything at all not even for work it was just I was collecting clip art stuff to throw designs together fast enough to meet these very demanding deadlines there's no passion in it it was just grind 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 and while I made plenty of money I just wasn't happy I wasn't fulfilled I didn't get to draw anything it had been three months and I was like I can't do it anymore and so Somebody just told me, like, hey, your your art is really good. Uh, it would make cool tattoos. Why don't you check it out? Why don't you do that? And then I said, you know what? 
I'm going to check it out. I'm just going to go ask somebody. So I went and I asked somebody. I showed them my sketchbook and everything. And they just, um, he was really impressed with what he saw and said, well, you can start an apprenticeship at any time, but you really need to get a tattoo first because believe it or not, I didn't even have one at the time. And I was like, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. I should go get a tattoo. It's hard to remember you without a tattoo. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they cut, they suit me now. They really do. I should have got them much sooner, but I'm kind of glad I waited because I still have a few that I need to get lasered off, which I'm going tomorrow to do that. <laughs> oh, driving all the way to Dallas, uh, which is fine. But um, so I... Uh, so I you started ta- stabbing people? Yeah, yeah. I, I got into an apprenticeship, and I started stabbing people. And I didn't know that I would enjoy the career until I put my first tattoo on somebody. And there is just nothing like it. There's nothing like it in this entire world. It feels incredible. I put a line on somebody's skin, and it is not wiping off. That is so cool. I, I mean, it also feels good in my fingers like it feels crispy and it's very satisfying it has the same kind of satisfaction to it as like say picking paint off of a wall you know you don't know why you're just like yes it just feels good for your brain your brain's just in like really enjoying it it has the same kind of feeling like that so it's no matter what I'm tattooing I'm still going to find joy in it even if I'm like if I don't understand the subject matter I've still enjoyed doing it because it's still that same satisfaction I'm still putting permanent marks and I'm still feeling the the crunchy in my fingertips and I'm I'm still watching uh, a line be placed really solid really a really good perfect line there's just it's it's it feels so good so um and also was working with my hands I miss that. Working digitally for so long was really doing something to my brain that I didn't realize until I stopped doing that. When I started working with my hands again, I, I realized that I am definitely a very physical person. I need something like this to feel fulfilled in life. I need to touch things. I need to move things. I need to create with my God-given hands. <laughs> uh, and there's something really nice about participating in the physical world like that. So let's back up a little bit yeah, because sure. I wanted to talk about you as a kid. When did you start? When did you decide you wanted to be an artist? When did that feeling start for you? Do you remember? Mm, it's hard to say because, you know, childhood memory is kind of weird, but drawing is just something I've always done. Um, it was an urge to just like put marks on paper and make things, color stuff, like uh, draw in the margins of my homework throughout my entire school year until it annoyed my teacher so bad that I got detention at least five times over it, Uh, had my sketchbooks confiscated, things like that. But it doesn't really stop you, and it's just something that you just feel like you have to do. Um, I never approached it as a, I'm going to be an artist one day, not as a kid. Like, it just wasn't like that for me, mostly because my whole dad's side of my family is our artists uh they're billboard artists they they uh actually are responsible for painting the memphis water tower my two uncles were part of that project and i think my dad was on the water tower at one point he wasn't a painter he was just there with shenanigans because that's what my dad did uh, <laughs> um but but yeah the um the memphis water tower they were up there with the crew that that painted that they paint i remember they'd have it out in the lawn and were had their projectors out to make like an Arby's billboard or something like that. Um, 
my uncle Ernie had to get up and fix uh, that one lawyer's teeth with the big smile. That I can't remember <laughs> what his name is anymore because it's been so long. But somebody blacked out his teeth because it's Arkansas and that's yeah. hilarious here. So he had to get up and fix that. Things like that. Uh, but they all discouraged any kind of approach to art because they weren't really making a prolific amount of money, which is really sad because they're all very technically talented people. I get all of my technical ability from, from that. Mm. Um, it was like they, they wanted to discourage the kids from going into art because of how their career just went downhill because as soon as vinyl prints were a thing, they weren't needed anymore. Yeah. You didn't have to hand paint a billboard anymore. So they didn't want to see that to happen to the kids. So And I get that, but I just kind of grew up with, the, oh, art's just a hobby thing. It's just a thing. Um, it didn't really strike me as it, it really is such an important part of who I am until I got into college because I approached college going pre-med, actually. Um, I started as pre-med, you know, was pretty good at school now that I wasn't in high school anymore and everything was horrible. I started making A's again. I started because I used to be on the honor roll. High school got hard, made C's and D's, get to college and I'm making 99 and 98's in my classes again. It's like, oh, this feels good. Um, but I started realizing as I was going through these classes that I don't care to be a doctor. <laughs> Oh. And forgive me for being completely blunt here, but I don't care that much about helping people, at least not in <laughs> that way. And I feel like if I feel like that and I'm just doing this for the money so that I'll be successful, this is not good. Do you want a doctor that feels like that? If I were going to be dishonest and just be like, yeah, I want to be a doctor. I want to save the human race. And then inside I'm like, this is stupid. You know, I don't want somebody to have a doctor like that. I don't want to be that doctor. So it's like, you know what? I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> and I just completely changed majors in the like my second year of college and just decided to go into graphic design because, well, I just figure I could make money as a graphic designer. That's the money maker. Mm -hmm. And then I can also be an artist and follow my dreams and do what feels good to me. I didn't know that tattooing was an option at the time. <laughs> It wasn't in my in my brain as, as something I even considered because it's not a career that people take seriously, generally speaking. And I came from a place where they wanted you to take your career seriously. I, I realize now that that is completely wrong and totally yeah. total bullshit. Yeah. But um, that's just where I was at at the time. Um, I'm glad that that changed. <laughs> so what? Because um, we you talked about. You're not helping people in that way, mm -hmm. but how are you helping people with tattooing? What does it do for people? I see an amazing change in clients when they get a tattoo that they really like. Uh, when they when they really love it, you can. It's a it's the vibe. The vibe is incredible afterwards. You're just, they're they're just so happy, so excited, for many different reasons. I do a lot of cover ups, for example. That's probably the most. Um, prominent example that I can name is that somebody has a tattoo that they're unhappy with. It is usually a tattoo that their friend did or that they got that's like a poorly done or a mistake they made a long time ago, usually in somebody's kitchen uh, that they want to get covered now because it's just they're embarrassed to even show their arms yeah. uh, in public because it's right there on their forearm and it looks horrible. Okay, so I cover it with some beautiful roses and suddenly they can wear short sleeves again. They can be like, I can, 
I could show my arms again. I'm proud of what my skin looks like now because that is gone. I feel like even if this is not the tattoo that I would have first chosen, this is still a good tattoo. And I feel like I look good because of it, you know, and I don't want people to feel ashamed of their bodies and their, and, and their choices from, you know, when they were younger, but there really is a big difference when somebody gets something and they feel good about it. They feel good about themselves again. And that's amazing to get to watch and also to, to realize that, Oh, I did that for them. I, I did that for them. Um, people get tattoos for lots of different reasons, you know, not just covering up mistakes, but just commemorating a moment in their life, um, a change. They're, they're entering a new chapter. You know, yeah. I, I recently tattooed somebody who, um, just got divorced and she wanted, uh, that mushroom lady. It was a, a lady with a, like a bonnet, but it was the bonnet was a mushroom and you know, I love mushroom people. So I was like, okay, this project is great. And, um, I don't know what this had to do with her situation. I don't t tend to ask. Uh, usually if people want to share, they share pretty freely in the chair. So I don't ask because that's intrusive and, and rude to me. I, it's not that I'm not interested in why, why people want to get what they get. But it's just that, frankly, it's not my business and it's inappropriate for me to assume otherwise. So I just wait for them to share if they want to. But she wanted this, and she did tell me a little bit about her situation. And she's like, this just feels like a new chapter, and I can, you know, I just feel good about moving forward with that. She wanted to cry and hug me, and, and she's like, I don't know if you're a hugger, but it's like, it's okay. I don't initiate, but I also understand that you're feeling some kind of deep emotions right now, and I want to help with that. I have enough compassion and empathy to be like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And you'd be surprised how often that happens. <laughs> People I just... I wouldn't. I wouldn't personally. Um, and I might cry talking about this, but so I have alopecia and uh, I have some hair on my head, but not a whole lot. And uh, so I decided, you know, instead of wearing wigs, instead of feeling embarrassed and like uh, just trapped in the skin, um, I decided to shave it off and get a tattoo. And um, I have, well, from two different artists, and Leah's one of those. And um, it's beautiful. And now I feel like my head is a work of art and instead of something to be ashamed of. And so, yeah, see, I'm going to tear up. Ugh. <laughs> so it, it helps a lot. There's a lot of emotion that can come into that. Um, and someday I want to get a doctor on here to explain the kind of endorphins that you get from getting a tattoo because it is addictive. Yes. Um, <laughs> and um, and Merritt's here now. You can actually, you can chime in if you want Hi. anything. Well, yeah, no, I did not want to interrupt, <laughs> but uh, just because, you know, I, funny enough, it was all disability related stuff, but, you know, can't quite be in control of that. That put me a little late today. So hello, everybody. That's okay. Glad to be here. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I, I think there's a lot to be said that I don't know, maybe Leah's already said about bodily autonomy in getting tattoos. And that's always been a big deal for me is sort of reclaiming ownership of my own skin. And yeah, the addictive part too. I did at one point, I, we'll get into my stuff eventually, but I had self-harm issues and I, for a while there, it was like a reward that if I could go this many days without doing anything like that, then I could get another tattoo and get those endorphins that way. And it was nicer, you know, it was a better idea um, to just 
do that instead because you get good art out of it and it's a lot more of a controlled situation. And so I eventually paced myself, you know, off of most of that by like using rewards and stuff like that. And, you know, along with your little tactics like rubber bands or something or ice or whatever, but yeah, no. And I, your, your art on your head is so you too. And I think yeah. that's the other thing I like about it is just being like, nope, this is me and I'm wearing it on the outside. And I've always been like that personally that like, I mean, you said it, it, your head feels like a work of art. And I'm like, yeah, just like you, like it's perfect because Aww. there's just so much personality in there. And it just, when I saw the cicada, especially, I was like, this is gorgeous. And somehow also the most Jennifer thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I was also really into that design, by the way. Yeah. I was just, oh, I was too. so excited about it. I told all of my coworkers about it. Like, look what I get to do tomorrow. <laughs> I did. I get to do a cicada. I've never done a cicada before. I'm so happy. And look, I made it coming out of its shell. Isn't that cool? Yeah, Nobody draws really the it. shell. Oh, that's I really it. Cause it's a little metaphorical and I, I like uh -huh. stuff like that. But yeah. And plus it's like a nice composition because mm -hmm. the challenge for that tattoo is that wrapping around the base of the skull mm -hmm. is very difficult. Mm -hmm. Doing a skull tattoo is hard to begin with because you have to work around the ear. And so, but it made a nice composition because I can put the shell more behind the ear and have the cicada coming up over the ear onto the side of the head, which is what I ended up doing, which made the composition really suitable for wrapping around the head, especially on the side like that. And then I could take the flowers and wrap them around the ear so and then marry it with the with the lovely work that Ivana did on the top of, mm -hmm. of the skull. Yeah, I, I love it. And it looks powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, it looks like it's coming out of that shell really strong. And I yeah. like that. Yeah. And something about like flowers and insects is so nature and so like, to me, kind of raw, like base humanity, they're connecting with with things like that that's some of my favorite stuff although i'm always the kind of person to be like get a tattoo because it's cool just because <laughs> you like it like it doesn't have to mean anything but if you're in love with it you're in love with it and that's yeah. it so i am one of those people myself yeah <laughs> my first few tattoos which i'm all getting getting all of them removed were lots of meaning i spent a lot of time with the concept trying to get it perfect i drew them myself and while they still have a lot of meaning to me they were one not applied very well because the artist that did them wasn't, you know, super great, uh, which is fine. I didn't know anything about industry standard at the time. And the meaning behind them is they just don't really do it for me. But all of my tattoos that I got on a whim because I thought it was fun and it was going to be neat. I love all of them. They make me just happy. I don't know the reason sometimes. I don't know why I got Skeletor so big. I just love him, though. He's amazing. And I think yes. about the old He-Man where he's like, yeah, He-Man, you boob, and just makes me happy. <laughs> there doesn't have to be a bigger reason than that. You just, you relate to him already. I do. Just, I don't I do. want he's to be ridiculous. nice. I want to be evil. I don't want to be nice. I want to be evil. <laughs> no, I, love I, I love Skeletor, and I don't yeah. really know oh, yeah. why. There's no real reason. It's the campiest thing that you've ever seen. I've ever seen in my goddamn life, but... That's probably why I love it. So, <laughs> well, I have Crow T Robot on my leg, yes. thanks to you, as well. which was also was really into so that jealous design. of that one, by the way. <laughs> but you knew that. <laughs> Time for a touch up too. I uh, also think it's funny because, like, 
I've got one that I'm in love with that it, it's a yokai and it's the um the bamboo kuchigama which is like the teapot with legs oh, yes, like it has like and like the I lid is like a mouth and it's just the story is adorable so it is one of my favorite like folklore stories so I guess it's got a little meaning behind it but I mostly got that one at a convention on a whim because the artist was just the nicest dude and like Super we like sweet. did spoken word poetry for each other. like he wrote poetry and we were just like reciting poetry the whole time he was working on it it was great a great experience so I'm glad I did it but that was a hundred percent a whim <laughs> and versus like the one on my ankle it's like it's like a skull pineapple and you would think that would be the whim one and it's like no that's probably one of the most meaningful ones I actually have <laughs> but I can't really explain it to people so it's never what you think it is I guess yeah but yeah um so the tell me about your experiences tattooing what does that do for you mentally well, besides the it giving me the opportunity to work with my hands and it being a very physical thing um, and that being just therapeutic on its own, it also is about the only activity that requires my entire focus to achieve a uh, standard. Uh, in order to create a good tattoo, I have to be completely present in that moment. I can't, my brain can't wander off. I can't go chase any thoughts. And I also, more importantly, don't want to. When I'm tattooing, that's all I want to be doing. That's what I want to do. And so I stay present in the tattoo while I'm creating it. And I, I see good work happening. I can always tell when my brain starts to want to wander off because I'll have to go over that line again. You know, it's just not, it doesn't feel solid. It doesn't feel yeah. present. And when I'm present, my tattoo is present. And that's important for me because my brain wants to wander off all the time. It's constantly going down tangents and avenues and getting lost in these worlds. And I lose most of my life that way. I lose most of my time of the day just in this fantasy world, not living my life, just thinking about things. And which is sounds fine and like what you want a creative person to do, but it's tragic because again, I lose valuable time and I'm not present in my actual life. And for there to be something in this world that can anchor me to actually living, I think that's really important and profound because I'm actually present for the first time in my in my life and these past five years have felt like a very long time to me, whereas the first 25 years of my life or so feel like an absolute blur. Yeah. And that's a lot of time to lose. That's a lot of life to not be living. And now I feel like I can actually live. And it teaches me to be present in more ways. Uh, setting up for a tattoo has become my grounding technique. I go through grounding techniques mentally as I'm preparing to tattoo. I try to count everything. I try to make sure I'm actually present in my body while I'm setting up my tray. Because if I miss one thing, that's a concern because if my machine's not wrapped properly, that invites contamination uh, into my entire setup and I can't have that. So I have to stay present for this part. It's very important. So I've just wrapped in grounding techniques as I'm setting up for a tattoo. And that helps me get grounded, get settled, get very present. I do the tattoo, I stay present. And then elsewhere in my life, I can use those same grounding techniques because I'm so practiced and I do it every day for several hours. I can then take those same skills that I've practiced at work into my time off. And when I go to draw and I notice I'm having trouble, I can say, okay, well, what do you need to do? You need to ground. So, and then I do that and I go through my same 
mental grounding routine that I would when I set up and suddenly I can draw really well again. You know, so it's helped me in many other ways, not just with tattooing, but just helping my brain stay anchored into my body. So how is that different than just the kind of occasional daydreaming that other people do that is just common to everyone? What is dissociation? Well, everyone dissociates. Um, when your mind is predisposed to it, you do it much more often. It's like you're familiar with highway hypnosis where you're going down the road and suddenly you're at your destination. Mm -hmm. You don't really remember how you got there. That's dissociation. Yeah. When you're daydreaming, just, just kind of thinking about things, but you can still remember how you got somewhere, that's just daydreaming. But when I, it starts with daydreaming and then it becomes dissociation very quickly. I'll lose hours. Um, and then suddenly it's like a blink and my entire day is gone. And I meant to do things in those hours. You know, I meant to go and feed my dog, which I'll forget to do. And even though yeah. he's very insistent on trying to remind me, it still <laughs> doesn't snap me out of it. It's like you almost go comatose and you're just like, yeah, just a minute. And you're just on autopilot. You also can't really properly enjoy things in that, in that space of time. I can be a lot for me, it manifests as autopilot Well, I'll just be going through my daily routine, I will walk my dog, I will feed him, but I'm not really present. I'm not there. Uh, things can happen around me. I might completely ignore them because, and more importantly, I just don't feel anything. I don't feel emotions in that state of mind. I don't feel enjoyment. Um, I don't feel danger, <laughs> which is part of the coping mechanism of why your brain develops dissociation, because it numbs you to the threats that are happening, because you can't run from them. You certainly can't fight them. So the best thing your brain can do is just turn it off and just pretend, mm -hmm. turn the volume on the world down, yeah. essentially, is what happens. And so when you grow up in an environment that constantly feels threatening and unstable and you're a kid, so you have no autonomy, you don't get to make decisions about your life. You can't run away because the police will come get you. You can't fight it because everyone's bigger than you. Yeah. So your brain just learns how to shut things off and you just deal with it. And that's what you're taught to do because, you know, you just want to stop complaining. Just get over it. Right. That encourages states of mind like that so it's it becomes insidious when you've done it most of your life into adulthood even uh you start to lose so much of that life so much of that time that's really valuable uh that you it, it's it's tragic honestly i feel like i've lost most of my life to just getting through it getting over it you know autopilot just get through the moment with the volume turned down when the world is so much more vibrant and it really deserves to be seen and felt. And what you're hearing, ladies and gentlemen, is the effect of therapy and art and a whole lot of self-work. And uh, I'm so proud of you. Thanks. It's taken a long time, but it's worth it. I've been through the system in so many, over so many years. I think I first started therapy when I was actually, I went to college because I would grow up in a household that was like, you don't need therapy. We don't go to doctors. You don't talk about your problems ever, you know? And so when I got out of that household, I was like, I'm an adult now and I can go to therapy. I had a very good friend, Merritt, who encouraged me to do so and actually gave me some good leads on some doctors. And that's what got me into it. And while the first doctor, she did what she could, you know, I went through a lot of doctors after that, that just 
it was really bad for me. Mm. I was misdiagnosed many, many times, uh, given medicine that I definitely did not need. And I'm not saying that medicine is not helpful. It is if you have a chemical imbalance and you need medication, please, for the love of God, take your medication. Yeah. It is just like taking care of your liver, okay? Your brain needs things, too. Your brain is an organ. So that soapbox aside, medication was not the solution that I needed. Uh, they were giving me antipsychotics that I did not have a need for, and so it was creating symptoms that I did not have before, which is what happens if you're taking medication that you don't need. I was on Wellbutrin for a while for depression and other symptoms. Uh, that helped until it suddenly stopped working, which happens sometimes and can either be reassessed or I just decided that it was time for me to just wean off of all my medication and see how I was doing. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that after Wellbutrin stopped working for me, just some talk therapy, uh, check-ins once in a while, and using all of my new coping strategies, because I did not have these coping strategies before, and that medication helped me get through that. But when I developed the right coping strategies, I feel like I no longer needed it, because I have other ways that I can help deal with the issues that I have. Um, so medication kind of helped bridge that gap. But And by that time, I had... Um, gotten a therapist that was actually right for me that actually understood what I was what was going on and had some could actually help me yeah. um helped me extremely actually uh, I could not stick with her the entire time because she had to retire which was very very um emotional for me uh, but I got a new therapist and she's great too so that helps it took a long time for me to find a therapist like that but you know, it gets there. It get there eventually. You just have to keep trying. I literally took. Uh, let's see. I started in 2006, and I finally found a therapist in 2016. So wow. that's about 10 years of just toiling. Um, no, it's 2015. So about nine years of just toiling through the system trying to find somebody that can help me and even then there was a little bit of a rocky start so and then it's been about seven years of consistent good therapy that has actually helped so. yeah and that's something people need to understand is that your first therapist is probably not going to be the one for you you have to find the right fit and you can't let that first experience sour you on therapy is it's so important um, and I think everyone should do it. If anyone asks me, hey, should I be in therapy? Yes. Um, but it does take a long time to find the right person, or it can take a long time. It absolutely can. I actually have a list of tips for that specifically because I've been doing advocacy for so long, and I feel like people don't look at it quite the right way sometimes. Uh, I feel like there's like this weird intimidation of authority kind of thing, which I see with just any doctors really sometimes. But um, I think that people seem to think that they're supposed to find one and then stick with them. But I totally encourage shopping around, like mm -hmm. consider it like you are shopping for a consultant, not you could, that you're trying to, yeah. You could fire your therapist. You can fire they your work therapist. They work for you. Absolutely. <laughs> you are paying them to do a service and if it isn't working out and anybody who's worth their salt would be like, cool, if we're not clicking and you're not feeling comfortable with me, like we're not on the same wavelength, let me give you other recommendations or I hope you find somebody else because that's how that's supposed to work, actually. Same thing with a tattoo artist. Yeah. <laughs> also yeah. true. But that's exactly the kind of thing is I'm always like, 
make a list of questions of what's important to you, of what you're concerned with, of things that you you don't want. Like if you're not particularly religious and you do not want someone religious, like make a list of things you want to ask questions about, call them first five minutes, you will know call and if or get someone to call for you to ask your questions if you need help with that and in the first five minutes you will know whether or not they are going to potentially be a good fit and you will save yourself weeks of headache mm-hmm. other than just making an appointment and going in and anybody who is worth your time will pick up and call you back or pick up the call yeah. or have someone to answer that call and either so, way something that helps when you're approaching a therapist for the first time is please list all the symptoms that are causing you genuine distress mm-hmm. and disruption into your life because that's what clinical diagnosis is based on does it affect your life does it disrupt your work life your relationships mm-hmm. your home life is it causing you significant distress and only you get to determine that yep. other people can say well why is that distress who cares fuck them it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's causing you distress write those things down and that's what you need to talk to your therapist about and i think also the fact that um you know one of the things that they are they're supposed to ask is what are your goals for therapy which is a big ask or a huge Mm -hmm. open-ended question for people who've never been through therapy before it can be very intimidating and what i always say is if this is new for you or your first time in or you just really don't know you're just very overwhelmed just say that part. I don't know. I'm very overwhelmed. And then the actual like, because I know, especially with my ADHD and I, you know, and autism stuff, it can be really hard to just say that and leave it open ended. And if you want to give an answer to what are your goals for therapy, your goal for therapy can be finding your goals. You can absolutely go to that therapist and say, you know, they say, what do you want to do in here? What are your goals in here? It's just, I don't know. I don't have any goals. I need to find some. So first order of business is what are my goals? And they can help with that. Because I mean, a a therapist is just, it's a mental health coach. That's it. Mm -hmm. They're not supposed to sit there and and tell you what you think or, you know, like pick you apart to death or whatever, you know, that people seem to have this weird stigma assuming that they're going to get just dressed down and berated or given a whole bunch of opinions that they don't need. If that's happening, they're a bad therapist because really all they're supposed to do is be the little counter voice that says, okay, but why? And then you have to answer that question. They throw those sorts of things out there for you to then answer yourself or offer resources or offer treatments that you then take control of and direct or you then take and decide whether they work or not. They're not supposed to be pressuring in any way like that. That's not how that works. Nobody who's who's worth seeing is going to, you know, do anything besides insist like, here's something you could try everything else is completely in your hands so yeah yeah i i feel like it's it's an easy trap to fall into is feeling like it's going to be the therapist with the chase lounge and the german accent who's just (laughs) like this is all about your mother and you're just i don't know about that that's really diagnose you with daddy issues yes (laughs) (laughs) no that's like you might get there anyway but the point is not to not to go in and insist on something like that especially if you're like really don't think it is but you don't go in seeking a diagnosis you go in to talk about your symptoms and your distress and you'll find Mm -hmm. the right one eventually with somebody who's got x expertise to be able to lead you through that process to what is a a good conclusion because it should be it should be scientific it should be say saying okay well 
let's rule a couple of these things out because the DSM is not a rule book. I also run into people who think that in that mm. it's not like a you must you must be this fucked up to have disorder. It's yeah. no, it's like guidelines for if you have this cluster of symptoms, this might be your solution or this might be your actual general diagnosis group of people that you that you fall into and and the point of getting a diagnosis is that it should be ruling things out until you narrow it down to the one that works. Because like like they said about medication, it's also true about treatment. If you're doing mm-hmm. a treatment that is not right for you, it will not work. Mm-hmm. And it will often cause problems that you know, you wouldn't have otherwise had because it isn't the right thing. If it's working for you, you're on the right track already period. It doesn't matter what else. It doesn't matter if, and this is maybe me getting into my, my own disorder feelings a little bit is the fact that it doesn't have to look like everybody else necessarily. If you fit, you know, the check boxes and your T is leading you into therapy that works, there you go. It, you don't need to worry about, am I nine out of 10 textbook style BPD or, or not. It doesn't have to be anything specific, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that I do with my therapist, um, which probably drives him crazy is, um, like every other week I have to ask him, am I doing better? (laughs) (laughs) Where was I five years ago? Am I, am I getting better or am I just stagnant? It's honestly, it's, there are so many, there are so many issues, um, that a therapist has to deal with. And, um, that's the important part about just finding the one that's right for you. Mm-hmm. And mine's very good about, um, validating my feelings. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> that's really all it takes because mm-hmm. a lot of the struggle is feeling like you're unheard, unseen, nobody cares. And everybody tells you to get over it. Everybody's tired of your feelings and can't create space for you. But a therapist is literally, I'm paying you to create space for my feelings right now. Thank you. I was going to say, I guarantee it doesn't doesn't drive him crazy simply because that's extremely common. No, it's extremely common to doubt yourself and not be able to see the progress when you're that close to it. And so, like... It's literally his job to remind you. (laughs) Probably very happy to be like, no, you're doing fantastic and mean it, too, you know. Actually, I I think that's why the therapist I have now is the best one I've ever had and I vibe with her so much because she's super fucking blunt so it's like I will say something like derogatory towards myself or doubtful and she's like what the fuck is wrong with you really (laughs) or stop that stop with the shoulds stop with the what you should be doing do you really think that like she actually just she'll just go off on me and and for some people maybe that doesn't work but for me that works very well (laughs) so because it it kind of just forcefully almost physically knocks me back into you're right i don't know what i'm going on about right now Never mind. I know better. It's not just about validation, but just having a, I go to therapy because I need a common sense filter. Yes. Um, Because some of the things that I deal with are um, disordered thinking and thought disorder things where it's like my brain is telling me this one thing, Mm -hmm. like, and it's probably some kind of paranoid nonsense, right? Um, 
especially if I'm getting obsessively thinking about something and I can't let it go, I have to figure out why am I obsessing about this one thing? It's because it's usually something I don't even care about this subject. I just want it to not be knocking around my brain right now. Mm -hmm. So I'll bring it up in therapy and say, and then we'll kind of go through what thoughts make sense and what don't. But more importantly, we'll think about, okay, these thoughts don't make sense, but why are they important right now? Because mm-hmm. they always have a root. They always yep. have something. Uh, there is a reason it's knocking around my head. And most of the time it comes down to I need validation for something that I didn't have before. Yeah. So yeah. we'll find that. And then I get validation because it actually is needed. I, I I do deserve to be validated for these things that I have going on. And nobody told me it was okay. Mm-hmm. And now my therapist like, you know, it actually is. Because she's not going to lie to me. She's trying to help me find the truth. And then I just have to, the only thing that, that remains is like my paranoid brain is like, you're just kidding. You're, she's just saying that because you pay her to say nice things. It's like, no, I pay her to help me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes help is, doesn't sound nice. Yeah. Uh, somebody helping you doesn't always sound like uh, validation. You know, it doesn't always sound like something you want to hear because sometimes she'll tell me things like, nope, that's fucked up. You should, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that's not, uh, that's not correct. Um, you were, you were wrong for that. And it's like, you know what? You're right. And my job is to just have an open mind and listen Um, so it makes the validation extra important because I know it's coming from a place of truth. Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, mine, even when she does that whole thing about the hell are you talking about? She will never say anything like she will always make sure she reinforces the you're not stupid at all. This is absolutely 100% understandable. It's not right, but... (laughs) You're still wrong. You're still wrong, but give yourself the space to know that it's okay to be wrong. And you're not that... You're not like... Well, you're crazy, but you're not that crazy, you know? (laughs) Like, she jokes with me all the time, but I say that about myself these days anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I get... It makes sense that you Mm. feel this way coming from your experiences, but that doesn't make the feeling correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I get, what if I told you not everyone thinks that? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of like, my yeah. brain explodes. It, um, it's, 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 that, it's that old or new adage about um, your feelings are real, but they're not reality. Mm-hmm. They're always valid, but they're not about valid subjects, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's absolutely fine that you are you are angry or upset about this thing. It's also not true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to be right for me to be like, it's okay to have feelings. You should just do something about them. Probably take appropriate action. Yeah. Appropriate action is the words. Um, I I do have some things to say about ink therapy. Ink therapy. Yes. Subject of that one. Uh, Just because like we were talking about tattoos and whatnot. I was like, oh, I need to talk about how I'm not a therapist. Yeah. I'm going to make some people upset with some things I have to say about it. But I really want this to, I want people to know that I say this from a place of, um, I have a good heart when I say this. I I want people to understand that I'm not scolding anybody. But one of the most common things that I hear is like, I need some ink therapy, which is a cute phrase. And you can say that. That's fine. I am not your therapist. (laughs) Um, I don't mind when people sit in the chair and they want to talk about their problems. It is my absolute responsibility not to give you advice. So please don't ask me for it. 
it's inappropriate of me to act like a medical health professional. I can tell you what I would do if you're having trouble grounding or whatnot. I can tell you some grounding techniques that work for me, but I cannot give you medical advice. It's inappropriate and also not legal. Yeah. (laughs) So don't go to a tattoo artist expecting some kind of miraculous experience where you're going to come out feeling totally healed. You still need actual therapy. (laughs) Please go to see a therapist because what you're experiencing when you leave the tattoo studio is the endorphins. You feel really good because it's releasing, um, what is a particular one? Adrenaline. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you experience adrenaline and, uh, same thing as when you get, go to a workout and when you have a really good workout, you're going to feel the same high that you would when you get a tattoo because mm-hmm. it's all the same kind of physical, physical pain creates adrenaline in your body because your body does not know the difference between pain that is chosen and pain that is not yeah. <laughs> it just registers as i'm hurting there's a problem we need adrenaline so we can run away and that's why it does that it's it's very primitive very primal your everybody's body does it and you will experience it a different way depending on the person some people sweat some people get sleepy hello me i get mm-hmm. sleepy when i get tattooed i want to go to sleep even if it hurts um, lucky it still hurts. <laughs> it still it doesn't feel great. Uh, sometimes it does, though, because I also process pain in a weird way, but we'll get into that. Um, everybody processes a little bit different. Everybody has a different threshold. But I tend to get sleepy because the endorphins are just like, yeah, time to completely freeze and play dead. That's what my body's natural response is to it. Uh, or it gets into fight mode where I get really tense and like really restless. So in order to fight that, I have to ground a lot while I get a tattoo. So, um, but to get back to ink therapy as a topic, (laughs) bottom um, line, ink exercise, medication, and LARP are supplemental and not a substitute for actual therapy. Yes, Yes, (laughs) please. Uh, and it's fine if you, if getting a tattoo helps you process something in your life, I think that is completely valid. I welcome it. I want to help you with that. I actually really enjoy that part of my job because I know that I provide a service that they can't get anywhere else. They're going to be so happy moving on from here and they might continue this chapter in their life with a lot of really good feelings because of their experience with me and because I do talk well to people. I'm I'm also very mindful about what they're experiencing. I'm very careful with what I say because I don't want to lead anybody astray. That's why I don't offer advice. Even if I felt like I had a degree or something and could do that, I still think it's inappropriate because that is not what they're coming to see me for, actually. It might be what they think they're coming to see me for, but... I have to be the adult in the situation and decide for them that that is not appropriate. So what I offer them is a good distraction. I provide a service that gives them the adrenaline that their body is seeking right now. And I give them some good feelings to continue their life with afterwards. And they'll probably be back because they enjoyed that. And I'm here to provide that. Um, There are some people that say some inappropriate things in the chair. (laughs) I had one client um, a few weeks ago. I was tattooing him, and he suddenly burst out unprompted, my ex-wife's a bitch. Like, wow. (laughs) And everybody in the shop just kind of turned and glanced, and they went about their business because (laughs) none of us really want to have this conversation. And my response was like, hmm. And I left it at that because I don't, (laughs) I know that no matter what I say, he's going to continue talking. And he did. I don't want to hear it. 
I think he's probably wrong, <laughs> but it's not my place to say. And I don't know anything about this person because we are strangers. <laughs> I just <laughs> met you 30 minutes ago. And I have some things to say about how uh, people establish familiarity too quickly to their tattoo artist. <laughs> uh, do you want me to get into that subject? Oh, uh, sure. Go for okay. it. I have a lot okay. of thoughts. So I was discussing this with my coworkers because because of the way my brain hyperfixates on things and goes down these rabbit holes, I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, and I, they tend to compile very quickly. And so I told my coworkers, because we were, they were asked, they were speculating aloud, why do clients do this? Why do people sit down and say things like, my ex-wife's a bitch? Or just t suddenly overshare things that, talking about why they're getting this tattoo about how they were, you know, abused and, and all these things. And it's like, well, that's really tragic. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm also a stranger. And I don't need to hear all of this necessarily. Um... And I think it's different than like, uh, you know, people post stuff on Facebook. Yeah. It's very personal. I do that all the time. Absolutely. And, I, and I do it, you know, for reasons. But um, I think it's different when you're one on one with somebody who can't leave you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, that's the difference. I can hide posts on the Internet. Yeah. I can't stop tattooing just because I'm uncomfortable with the conversation. It's a consent issue. If somebody asked me if they could talk about it. I might be fine with it, but when I'm blindsided, I can't really, you know, process what's happening in the moment. It feels inappropriate and yucky, so I just kind of have to ignore them. It's not that I don't have space for that kind of thing. It's just that I didn't have, I wasn't prepared for it. Yeah. Um, if I have t uh, just a second to prepare for what you're about to tell me, then I'm much more receptive to it. I'm still not going to offer you advice because... Again, I have to be the adult and, and decide what's appropriate and what's not because I'm in control of that situation. But I could at least listen. And I listen anyway because I just default to that. Even when I'm blindsided, I default to they need this right now. This is what is helping them. So just let them as long as they're not saying anything harmful or inappropriate, like actually genuinely inappropriate, like talking about things that are just not big, not okay, uh, yeah. then I just let them talk. But I think the reason people do this, uh, they s establish familiarity very quickly with their tattoo artist because I have my hands on you. I am mm -hmm. touching you physically. We just met 10 minutes ago, probably for the first time. And I have my hands probably on areas of your body that you normally would not want a stranger anywhere near, yeah. not even looking in that area. Let's say I'm tattooing your ribs. My fingers might be going up into your armpit and onto your chest and that's really awkward and uncomfortable right i it's uncomfortable for me so i imagine it must be uncomfortable for most people um yeah. so your brain tries to compensate and and subconsciously says this person's my friend and it's okay for them to touch me it's okay for them to put their hands here so you get comfortable very quickly and say well this is some information i would share with my friend yeah. And then you share it without really being conscious of it. I think people aren't really thinking about things like that. They're not thinking about my comfort. Yeah. They're not thinking about the fact that we did just meet 10 minutes ago. Their brain has already decided that we're comfortable enough with each other to touch. So we must be comfortable enough to share. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why people just dive into it unprompted and just, just go for it is because there's an intimacy there that can't be avoided because I have to put my hands on you to tattoo you. Yep literally have to it's part 
it's just a part of the job. And I tell you, every time I have to like touch somebody's sides or their torso in any way, I'm like, pardon me. I have to put my, get real personal with you. I've got to put my hands in places. You know, I just let them know what I'm doing while I'm doing it because I do think that that kind of dissipates some of that urge to be too familiar too quick it also comforts a lot of clients because they know why it's happening what why what's what i'm doing they know what i'm doing why i'm doing it and they know that it's part of the job it's not i'm not trying to be inappropriate or anything i'm just i literally it's like i anytime i have to like say move my hands up under somebody's boob or something because their tattoo comes across high on the ribs mm-hmm. i say pardon me <laughs> And do that. So that brings people back into the reality that this is not a gesture of um, friendship or intimacy. This is a professional moving your skin in a medical way to get to an area of your body (laughs) in order to provide the service that you're paying me money to do. Yeah. So the lesson here is if you are with a tattoo artist or anyone who can't leave you, um, who can't just walk out of the room, don't bring up things that uh, would be uncomfortable for anyone who isn't your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fair, you know, yeah. to put that on somebody you don't know that you just met. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Lee and Merritt. Remember, your tattoo might be therapeutic, but your artist is not your therapist. Thanks for listening.